Well, here's what I've learned is that I'm really not a preacher. I'm a worshiper. That's really all I am. Um, one of my most hated times is when they elbow me and say, it's time for you to speak. And I was like, oh, man, I was enjoying the presence of God in our conversation. And the Lord would have you to get to the place where above all else, you'd be a worshiper because it's from that place that God does everything else. Um, but it's hard to worship something that you don't have a good revelation of. But revelations always to lead us to a place of worship and then worships to put us and project us into a place of responsibility. Okay. So whenever we're seeking revelation, it's not to keep us where we're at or to define the spot. It's to move us to the next place that God would have us to go to. So the Lord is like always moving, right? But if I stay stuck in the same revelation that I'm at, I'll keep hitting these dead ends. Um, and, I, and I hope this doesn't come across wrong because I, I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be that at all. But almost... Everywhere I go, you could, it's like the word of the Lord is, is like, don't give up. And it's like, why is the church always on the verge of giving up all the time? Do you see what I'm saying? And I believe that it is because when we receive a revelation from him, um, we don't fully grasp what it is he's actually doing. And we kind of stay in ignorance in the situation until the next time we're about to give up. And then he has to say, hey, I'm just telling you guys, don't give up. You go, oh, okay. Uh, so you end up, your Christian walk becomes not giving up. Is this okay? Okay. When the Lord would have us to move from the place of where we just don't give up till we're actually victorious, we're actually moving in the things of God, we're actually becoming disciples of Jesus, we're actually seeking Jesus and finding Him as the all-sufficient Savior, and we're actually moving towards a reality that's bringing the kingdom to bear on the earth. Like, like you were created to be the temple of God. Amen. And how would you like going to a temple where the message was, don't give up every Sunday? You're not going to that church. So you're wondering why you lack the influence in your life. What is your church preaching? Not this. You're the temple of God. You're carrying Holy Ghost in you. And so we got all the chairs faced one towards one guy, and I'm going to just spill some information over, and then you're going to go home and like, whatever. It's like, no, the glory of God is in you. The glory of God is in you and you've got to move past hearing and move past the revelation of where you're at and step into the new unknown thing by faith where God would move you from glory to glory to glory. And the only way you get to find out what that next glory is is to take a step and trust that He's going to reveal it when you move there. That we would get unstuck as the people of God and we would begin to move into a new phase, a new mission, a new voice, a new spirit, a new wind, a fresh fire, a fresh thing that God wants to do. But here's what it's not going to do. It can start in your pastor. It can start in Pastor Katie, but it cannot end there. You cannot live vicariously through someone and then expect your Christian walk to go well. Because the ministry is not to entertain the saints. The ministry is to equip the saints to look like Jesus. And 
you know, I love my church because I got some like wild folk up in there. They make me nervous. And I'm the pastor. And people go around and I watch, I just watch new people come in sometimes and they're like, and I'll listen to like their conversation. They'll like lean to their wife and go, so there's like prayer ladies going up. There's people with flags everywhere. I mean, it gets weird and wild. And, and I'm just like walking amongst the chaos and just like kind of rubbing my hands together. Like, <laughs> look what God did, you know. And, uh, and so I'll listen and they'll be like, man, where's the pastor in this place? Because you got ladies laying hands on people over here. You got all this stuff going on. I'm like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because the idea of this thing is that I would become invisible and then the body of Christ as a whole would all step into their role and begin to move as a body, as a living organism, stepping into the reality that He has for them. Like, this is what He's got to do. And the only way He's going to do it is to tear down your current structures, tear down your current mindsets, like the song in Seth said, tear down the strongholds and the lies that you've believed about Christianity and other things, and to give you a fresh vision of Him, a fresh love for Jesus, so that you get unstuck and you begin to step out and to do things and to, and to move into the supernatural and begin to move into hearing the voice of God, that you'd begin to, to move in that... Being the church and wherever you're at, you're the church and that you'd begin to invest in yourself and, and begin to move in all these things. And so, so the Lord would have us to, when we receive the revelation, to move into the thing that, that what it is. Okay, so for instance, the children of Israel have been in bondage and then they're coming out, right? And then they start complaining because they're in the desert and there's no bread, right? It's like no food. And so it's like, God takes us from the place where we were trapped and then puts us in a place that's even more comfortable to get us to look our own self in the face where we can't blame our accusers and, our, and the ones that hurt us anymore. So part of that journey was to realize it's not just Pharaoh, it's me. <laughs> so the wilderness is the place where we have to just look ourselves in the mirror and face every single fear and find out if we're going to trust God or not. So for some of you, it's been comfortable to stay in bondage because you know that and you can blame the bondage and you can say, well, I'm an addict or I'm this or I'm that or my parents did this. You know, and we come up with a laundry list of excuses and some of them are really good. And so we stay in bondage because it keeps us from accepting the responsibility of our own freedom. So then we get free, but God takes us to a wilderness first. And in the wilderness, I've got to trust that God's going to bring bread from heaven. And that's uncomfortable, right? Because I want to bring bread. I want to make the bread rain. I want to do this and I want to do that. So God would put us in a dry place and then subjugate us to depend upon him to bring the revelation and like it and to get used to it. To where when you live by faith long enough, you don't know another way. You just stop. You just... And then you're not even aware of the surroundings. You're just waiting for bread. When the bread comes down, what do they call it? What does that mean? <laughs> no, what does that mean? No, what does that mean? Like, you see what I'm saying? The revelation comes and they didn't even know what it was. 
So they're grappling and praying to God for something that's right there and they don't even know how to define it. So they name it manna. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> so like, God, I want you to do something in my life. God, I'm tired of this. God, I'm tired of this. And then magical rain beads or bread beads come down from heaven as coriander seed. And they go, oh, God, what is it? Here's the weird thing about it. What they were praying for, they got because they didn't have the revelation and didn't trust God enough that when he brought it, they couldn't receive it or not even know what to do with it. So we're so caught up in our complaining, we don't even understand that God's put revelation and put bread all around us. But because of our mindsets are so backwards and we've been through trauma and we've not been willing to get healed and deal with it, we have the answer all around us and we're still asking for bread while we're stepping on it the whole time. And so we're walking around in these seasons saying, what is it? We're stepping on croutons the whole time. What is it? So then God has to come back and go, it's bread. Oh, <laughs> right? That the revelation brought them from the complaining prayer thing. And, and we can hide behind our crying out as if that's holy. But some of our prayers are just begging God to be good. And I want to tell you something. You don't have to beg God to be good. He already is. He already is. And so your prayer life is not begging God to be good. So just receive that he's good. And then when you pray, be aware and say, okay, where's the bread? I prayed. Where's the thing for? I prayed. Where is it? And you move from what is it to bread. So then Jesus says, well, God says, hey, uh, uh, it's bread. It's like, oh, okay. So then he has to define how to get it, what to do with it, how much of it to get, how to work it and prepare it. And then all of a sudden, it's bread. But you know what they kept calling it? What is it? <laughs> That's why when I love in the New Testament, when Jesus comes, he's not the manna that comes from heaven. <laughs> he just defines it. I'm the bread. Guys, I'm not even going to let you define who I am because I don't need you to define who I am. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you who I am. <laughs> and that's bread from heaven. That Jesus is the full revelation that we don't have to walk around and say, what is it? Like, like Seth said, we don't have to wonder if we're a vic victor or not. Or it's not dependent upon my circumstance if it works out the way I think it should work, whether I'm a victor or not. That, that's irrelevant. It's like the bread is already there, but will I call it for what it is and step into the thing? Right? So there's this, there's this idea here of, of, of receiving the revelation of God, but then moving towards the reality of where it's trying to, where it's trying to get me to. Sherry, can you give me that chair on the, on the very end here of this? And here's a for instance. Um, oh, it's hooked together. Somebody did it right. <laughs> Ours are just like shoved together. Until uh, I complain because I'm like OCD. I'm like, Justin, get these things hooked together. And... Uh, and then his wife does it. Um, are we streaming? Lord help us. Um, okay, so imagine this with me. Can you imagine with me and us not going to transcendental meditation and be yoga experts for a while or something? Can you just, just use your imagination in a Christian that way, okay? Can you imagine Jesus 
comes in through the door. And then he walks in. He kind of meanders his way through. And he, you know, gives you a pat on the back. And as he's coming in, I mean, this is the king of glory, right? And he comes in. And he comes in and he comes center stage. And then he sits down right here. What would you do? Okay, think about it. Now give me some answers. I'm unconventional, so just, just kind of go. Run up, Run up in a hug, okay. First greet. greet. Well, okay, how would you do that, though, Thomas? Okay, so you'd fall at his feet. Okay, these are great. Okay, anybody else? What, what would you do if he came in the room? Crawl to him. Okay. Anybody? Who's going to out-humble everybody? Come on, let's do this. Out-humble the next guy. It's like, I'd crab walk now. Uh, I get my buddy, grab my legs, and I'd wheelbarrow. <laughs> and keeps getting like whatever. But yeah, uh, right. So, so do you see our response to if Jesus walked in? Hey, beautiful responses, by the way, beautiful. But you know what the most biblical thing to do would be? You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That to be with him is to be in the bosom of Abraham in Abraham's lap. Wow. See, Revelation is always bringing us to our feet, but it's never bringing us to our place where we rule and reign with him. Wow. So we spend the rest of our lives at his feet, but never step into the responsibility or role or calling that God's called us to step into. So we run around saying, what is it? See, the gospels bring us to his feet, but Paul's trying to get us in the seat. Somebody tweet that out. No, don't do that. It's to move us to responsibility. It's to move us to action, to rule and reign with Him. Like that's your destiny. And we're so afraid of it. We're so afraid of the place that He's taken us to. It's like half of you is already seated with Him in heaven. It's like incredible. To be seated for a ruler means that it's over. It's no need to stand up. I want. <laughs> so Paul writes to the Ephesian church and says, 2-6, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And then really frees you up and says, it's by grace you've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. So everything that God does in Revelation is an invitation to responsibility and calling and to be who you're called to be. And everything the devil wants to do is to get in your ear and to keep you condemned where you just stay at the feet. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is secure enough. He doesn't need cheerleaders. Like when you praise, God loves it, but he doesn't need someone cheering him on. He's more like the guy that's like, would you get on the field and go run the route so I can get the ball to you and we can go down the field and win Belleville for Jesus. Like, like he's that guy. 
But the devil will keep you so condemned and so beat down and so whatever that we just stay in this perpetual broken morning place and we never step into the abundant life that Jesus has for us or the responsibility that he's put on our calling on our life and we end up outsourcing our spirituality and we end up rooting on pastors to be spiritual, to go on mission trips, to be witnesses, to go to the hospital and to do all the other things that we're to be equipped to do and we outsource that to somebody and pay professionals and wonder why we're where we're at. You're in a perpetual cycle of being at the feet. And God says, get in the seat. Rule and reign with me. It's not like it's this rule and reign where it manipulates and controls people. God doesn't rule like that. It's to sit in the seat with Jesus and say, let me be Lord in your life in every circumstance, in everywhere. So when bread comes from heaven, you're not saying, what is it? You're in a room and you go, oh, that's bread. Let's eat. Oh, that's bread. Let's go. Oh, that's the spirit of God. Oh, a spirit of healing is broken in. Let's lay hands. And you're beginning to move with the room. And you don't have to have a guy cheerlead you and what the room's doing. It's like every pastor's got to define the room. Here's what God's doing. And it's like, you should know what the room's doing. Because you're the body. I don't care if some of you are a ruptured appendix that causes problems. You're a part of the body, dude. It's not like God's heart is in the corner over here and the lungs over here. Like it's all there. And so when we begin to move in unity and begin to grow in maturity and we begin to move towards the things of the Spirit, do you know what begins to happen? We get in one. And then what happens when 120 people get in one accord? Oh, the Spirit of God drops and a world gets turned upside down. And we're just trying to build big churches like, It's like Tommy Tinney told me, he goes, Matt, quit pastoring your church, pastor your city. Mm. So I just say, like John Wesley, the world is my parish. So Harbor Freight, okay, come on. Uh, What do you want me to do, Lord? When I get hit with a revelation, don't let me go. What is it? Let me go, oh, pray for him. Bread, bread, bread. Hey, witness to that person, bread. You begin to identify the thing that God wants to do. So what the Lord wants to do is he's moving to this place to unveil our face to where we're unmasked, where we can reveal who we really are. And the thing about God is he's already unmasked so that we can look at his face. And it's kind of the reality of the thing. Because Moses goes up on the mountain, starts talking to God face to face, man. And as he's talking to God face to face, do you know what happens to his face? The face of God imprints on his face. (laughs) It's like that's the blessed right. That's the blessed life, right? The Levitical blessing. Levitical blessing is, may he keep you and bless you and may his face... So the face 
shining. In the Hebrew, it would be a smile. May God look at your life and smile. Come on. So Moses was just getting the smile of God up there in conversation. Comes down, and you would think the people would be like, Yahoo! Revival! Veil your face. And so pastors just keep their job, got to veil their face all over the country. Not your pastor. He won't veil his face, I promise you. But pastors got to veil their face all over the country and act like these like robotic professionals because they don't want to lose anybody because they can't stand the glory of God on somebody's face. So they quit going up the mountain and having the conversation and instead they get on Google and find their sermons and, find, and copy someone else's style and what they're doing. And they don't even find their own voice. They make a career out of it and then don't know what to do with the rest of their life. Just trying to stay hired and keep the ship afloat and keep the paycheck coming in. Behold, the American church. So God's got to veil his face. I say God. Moses, sorry. It's like, yeah, God doesn't have to do that. Moses had to do that. Okay. <laughs> Kick me out of here. Now check what, yeah, sure. Um, now check this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul gets on to this reality of freedom and this veiled face and, and what the reality of Christ brings us into. And I won't, I won't, I'm not going to belabor this because I don't want to weary the room, right? Like, Sometimes the preacher has more um, zeal than our backside's got endurance. And like I said, I'm a worshiper, not a preacher anyway, so I would like to get back into worship and us really encounter him. But I want to just lay down some foundational things because I think God's going to unveil some things on your life. Like I think he's going to begin to start face-to-face communication with you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 18. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we behave with great boldness. Amen. People's praying for boldness. No, boldness doesn't come from you praying for it. It comes because you know where your hope is. Okay? Okay. I used to do that because I'd be like awkward witnessing to people. And I'd go, God, grant me boldness where I don't feel these nerves. And God's like, no, face the nerves and keep doing it until it becomes a reality in your life. And it's not just something you're trying to do, but you're actually a witness in and of itself. Because people can see through not authentic, right? You ever had somebody come to you with a script? Hello, blank. Oh, I mean, hello, John. Uh, you know, and it's like canned. And you're like, and you want to say, I'm already saved. But, you know, that you let them do their stuff. Um, Sorry. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we behave with great boldness. And not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from staring at the result of the glory that was made ineffective. So if Moses and the law had a face like that, what do we have as the New Testament reality in Jesus? And this is Paul's argument. Like, this is what should be on your face. If he's got to veil it because it's so bright, how bright and shining should our faces be since the full revelation has come? Yes. That we're not walking around saying, what is it? We walk around saying, Jesus. <laughs> right? Like, we just say bread. We just, we just, we're there. 
Verse 14, but their minds were closed, for to this very day the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it what? Taken away. So we find out, here's how to get this thing off of you. Verse 15, but until this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Come on. Now it goes into this. So there's something about veils, and then there's something about the Spirit, and then there's something about freedom. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. So there's something about us becoming unveiled that we might see Christ in such a way that it would bring to bear spirit realities that would begin to bring freedom in the room where people begin to be getting set free. Okay? Verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you've got an unveiled face. And I'm about to smooch you. No, I'm just saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Unless it's your wife, you can do that. With unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord are all being transformed, get this, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there's something about getting revelation of Jesus and staring at his face that is bringing to me that is bringing me in this position to have a shining face that is lit up with the glory of God that would begin to shine so bright that it doesn't matter, you can't veil it. It's just so radiant. It's so beautiful that it can try to be veiled, but it's really not much you could do about it. And so the Greek word for worship is proskuneo. When I say veil, what do y'all think of? Wedding. Wedding, yeah, that's where, I, that's where I go. So there's like this wedding thing happening, a consummation of sorts. Because like at the end of the wedding, what's like the last, what's like the last thing that happened? Well, not the last, last thing, but you know, the thing publicly <laughs> last thing. Uh, you know, the top, public thing. Well, yeah. Uh, right? Bell goes up, and then what happens? You know what the word, Greek word for worship is? Pros kaneho. Pros to lean in, kaneho, kiss. But the Lord is not just asking us to lift our hands or jump on our feet. I love that stuff. He's saying, lean in and kiss and consummate this relationship and bring the reality of who I am into your life where you can walk this thing out and not just say stuck in American church cliche patterns. Because if I was to define spirituality, we would come up with some, some pretty weak things, right? Attendance, Tithe. It's like our bar is so low 
that we call people low and wonder why they're not going higher. I can't believe these people are doing this. Well, how hard, how high have you set the bar? When the New Testament reality was, will you get your head lopped off for this Jesus? Oh, then you're with us. Come on. Yeah. Oh, you'll bleed instead of sin? Oh, come on. You're, you're us. You're, you're with us. God is calling us into not just deeper consecration. He's calling us to a once and for all lordship relationship that doesn't just cheerlead him on, but sits in the seat with him and says, Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? It's why Paul, when he's writing his letters, there's a shift that happens. Because we're always sons and daughters of God. We're always that. But do you know how Paul addresses himself to, the, to his letters to the people he's writing to some of the times? Paul, a bondservant of God. We soften that in English. You know what it is? Doulos. You know what that means? Slave. Amen. But it's a slave by choice. That as God forfeited his right as a son to be a servant of all, we move from the reality of just being a son or a daughter of God and say, okay, God, where do you want me to go to serve you? <laughs> now he's Lord, right? Now he's Lord. And God won't twist your arm to do it. He leaves you the choice and says, what will you do with me in our relationship? And we stay stuck in our cycles and keep asking for more. <laughs> and that becomes our prayer. More, 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 more. That's great. I want more of the Lord too, but maybe he would have more of you. And when he had more of you, you would get more of him. Because only death precedes resurrection. That God would lift the veil. And this is what Jesus' ministry does. When Jesus is baptized by John, the Bible says that the sky opens up. And we haven't heard God's voice for a long time, man. Since Malachi. Been hundreds of years. Sky rips open. What is God going to say? I would think. I'm mad at you guys, what you're doing down there. <laughs> but no, when he sees Jesus, he goes, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The same word for open the skies there is the same word for the veil when it's torn. Amen. That the veil is a picture of the sky or the separation between God or heaven and earth. And that when that sky opened up and the voice of the Father's there, Jesus spiritually ripped the veil. That He ripped the veil and then brings us in our position and as our representative and brings us into that reality. So guess what? 
If you're in Him, when God looks down, you don't have to wonder what He thinks about you. Amen. Do you know what He says? This is my beloved son or daughter Come on. in whom I'm well pleased. Come on. <laughs> when Jesus dies on the cross, what happens? Earthquake. Come on, say it. We ain't in no... I went to First Presbyterian for a second. Where are we at? Veil got torn. Hmm. Seems like God doesn't like veils very much. And we think the veil got torn so that we can go in. But that's not what happened because God was bringing that system down altogether. The veil got torn so that God could come out and begin to not be confined to a box, right? Like, don't put God in a box. Well, he kind of put himself in, whatever. Uh, the veil gets torn so that he can come out, that he wouldn't be confined to a place, Amen. but that he would take residence in his original plan, and that is us in the image of God, yes. reflecting his image yes. everywhere we go. Oh, man, that's impossible. Uh, maybe, but who's tried it? <laughs> so that's what I want to apprehend. I don't want to walk around with a veiled face to make everybody feel comfortable all the time. I'm just like over that. Come on. I used to have these old preachers come to the church I grew up in, and they had been pastoring for years, so they got good and beat up, you know, of you. And then they would come to your church like with no church and just be able to say whatever they wanted to say. And wasn't those the best services? Why? Because they were just going for it. <laughs> but you know what they'd say? I'm too old to play games. Everybody, <laughs> And I was a young man. I was sitting in the pew, saved at 22, was a drunk, a lot of other things. And I remember sitting in the pew and I said, God, I'm not going to wait till I'm old to say I'm tired of playing games. So I'm like 40 now and I'm saying, I'm tired of playing games. And what would happen if some 19 year old said, I'm tired of playing games? What would happen if you started saying, I'm tired of playing games? And some of you, I'm, I'm going to speak by the Spirit here. Some of you are letting people manipulate you and you're doing like Moses. You're putting a veil over your face and you think you're going to keep the peace. But all it's doing is prolonging the inevitable. That the only way for you to win that family member or that person is for you to shine so bright they either got to get with you or get out. Seraphim, literally translated, the burning ones. <laughs> and what do they do around the throne all day, every day? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But do you know what's really the coolest thing about that story? Is that there's all these like bizarre creatures. Like right, like there's one with like six wings and eyes. 
all over its body and wings. I mean, this is getting weird. And all the time they're just saying, holy, holy, they're worshiping. I mean, they're just like going for it. And then there's like these 24 elders and they're like falling down on their faces and they're like crowned out, you know, jeweled out. And poor little Isaiah and John and Ezekiel are like, you know, probably got their sackcloth on and they're like, I mean, how out of place should they have felt? I mean, they should have felt like, right? You ever been a real bad sinner and then come to church and you're like, oh my God, I'm out of place. <laughs> Imagine being at God's throne. Right? You may have done some sin up in here. Come on now. I got some past sin folk. Okay, I did. Got a bunch of homeschoolers in here or something. Yeah, so... I mean, this is like, you're in God's throne, right? Because Isaiah's like been prophesying like a madman for the first ride, Trevor. Woe is the drunkard! Woe is the adulterer! Woe is this and that! And then he gets in God's presence and he's like, woe is me. <laughs> he moves from a prophecy of blame to begin to step into the reality of where, I'm, where am I? See, some of us are spokesmen for God, but we've yet to prophesy to our own heart to make sure we're clean first. And what we call ministry is really just blame shifting or pointing out the faults in other people. And so Isaiah's like, well, it was me. And like, God's like, God like does stuff to keep him there. Like, I think it's a seraphim. I have to read it, but that gets the coal and puts it on his lips. Because <laughs> it's like, there's no greater problem than to be a prophet and have unclean lips, right? Like, what am I going to do? I lost my job, right? Like, and God's like, does everything to keep him there. So, no, so God, we think God should have dumbed down his holiness to make Isaiah feel better. God exalts his holiness and turns it to 11 and then makes Isaiah suited to be there. See, we do our churches, we turn our churches to five so that everybody feels good instead of turning them to 11 and say, no, come up here. Come up here with us. Come up here and be a part of the throne of what God's doing because there's sufficient sacrifice for you where you can be here and feel okay. So Isaiah gets his mouth touched with these coals and then, this is kind of crazy, God says this like crazy thing a bunch of this divine counsel. You've got wing, alien, angel creatures doing circles. You've got 24 elders. God said, hmm. It was like staff meeting. If you've ever had a terrible one, then you know. Hmm. They throw something out, waiting for the first one to grab it. And there's always that one guy trying to climb up. And it's like, I've got a mission. Who am I going to send? And the guy that should have felt out of place, the human representative who gets to come to the throne, a human in the throne room. It sounds like Jesus. It's like a picture. A human in the throne room beats the seraphim 
And the 24 elders who are way more qualified to the punch and go, here I am, send me. And God's looking for a people that quit waiting on an angel, but step into the role of the responsibility themselves and say, yeah, there's other qualified, but I'm available and I'll do it, God. Here I am. Send me. See, Isaiah moved from worshiper at God's feet to human representative in the throne saying, I'll go for you anywhere you want me to go. Move from worshiper to allowing that revelation to accept the responsibility of the call that was on his life. So that's where God's taken us. So instead of every time something happens, COVID or anything, and everybody's like, what is it? We should be saying, oh, it's just bread. Here I am, send me. There's a war breaking out. Somebody call John Hagee. We need another book series. Figure this out. It's like, no, dude, it's bread. It's bread. Here I am, send me. We better wrap this up. Okay. Lord, we love you. And we thank you. But God, we've got to burn that. We cannot stay here. We've got to come up. We've got to come up. And we'll feel inadequate, we'll feel weird, we'll feel like we got too many issues and problems. And you're saying, I don't care. I've got provision for all of that. I'm just looking for someone to speak up and say, here I am, send me. Here I am, God. That God, my whole life, you've been showing me and been speaking to me, here I am. And that here I am, to let me know you were there, was to make me to say, here I am. So God, I don't need another here I am moment. I'm going to tell you, here I am. Ready to lay it all at your feet. To move into the reality of the good stuff that you got.